Hello and welcome to Running Scared with Coach Christine. I'm Coach Christine. I'm a level two RRCA and Galloway certified run walk coach, and I'm so glad to have you here. Friends, if you are into running or just getting started, and you like a little bit of true crime, then you have found your corner of the internet and we are going to have a lot of fun together. Before I get too deep into this, I wanna go ahead and just have you start walking it out. We're gonna have about a 30 minute run and five minutes to warm up with a walk, five minutes to cool down on the other side. So go ahead and get started rolling outside you want to make sure that you are being very mindful and aware of your surroundings if you're out you want to just make sure that if there's any kind of weirdos or true crime folks maybe a kidnapper amongst you that you can you can hear them coming up on you so maybe pop out an earbud if you need if you're inside on a treadmill please go ahead and bring it up to at least a one percent incline very important that you minimize those impact to your joints all right, we're going to get right into what has been called the most twisted crime story in New Mexico history. And when I first researched this, I had to sleep with a nightlight on for an entire week. So this case is not for the little scaredy cats, kind of like myself sometimes. And it does have some really vivid graphic details. So again, I want to warn you, there's going to be violence, there's going to be abduction, there's going to be rape. And some of these details, they're just, this particular individual, this whole thing, it was just a hot mess. So if you think, you know what, this may be a little too intense for me, I get it. Come back, please subscribe to the podcast. We're going to definitely have some lighter true crime and some spooky tales. But today's class, it's anything but light. It's going to be hella intense. Awesome. You are walking it out. Let's talk a little bit about what's important for today. I want to make sure that you are walking tall, staying relaxed and light, engaging your core, and then let's talk a little bit more about what you can expect for this run walk. I'm going to ask you to make that run portion today nice and easy conversational. I utilize the RPE scale. It's the rate of perceived effort. We're going to go by effort. So a one is like an, a stroll. You're kind of out with a friend chit-chatting. A 10 is, well, there's a stalker chasing after you. You are sprinting. You are going all out. We're not hanging out anywhere near that 10. Today, it's just all about more about 30% of that max effort, maybe even 40%. So we're going to just keep it conversational. I'm gonna kick off a timer that's going to pop up every 30 seconds with a little ding. It'll let you choose your own adventure for this run walk class. If you're a newer runner or you're in for more of a lighter run, you're gonna wanna use that 30 second interval to change in between that light conversation pace for 30 seconds and then a strong walking active recovery for 30 seconds. If you are more intermediate or you already know your go-to run walk ratio you can use that beep additionally just by maybe if you're 60 30 you're going to skip one beep if you're 90 30 you're going to skip two beeps on and so forth you can also just ignore the timer and get in your good run if you prefer to just run straight through 
maybe even use this for a little bit of speed play. There's so many ways to make this your own. Ultimately though, I'll be giving you some form checks. I'll be checking in as we interweave the story here for a little bit longer again, talking about being mindful of our surroundings, making sure that we're wearing visible clothing. Being hydrated. You are out there by yourself. I'm going to ask everyone to make sure that you're just smart before you head out for any run, walk, or any kind of fitness regimen. You want to make sure that somebody knows where you're at or you use some kind of location services. I mean, hello, we like true crime. We know there's some weirdos out there. So I want you staying nice and safe. And of course, if you are brand new to running, welcome. So glad to have you. It's gonna change your life. But I do want you to make sure that you've checked in with your doctor and they're aware and let you know that you are cleared for movement. So friends, we're gonna get started into this case in about 25 seconds. You're going to hear that timer. You feel the suspense. I'm so excited to share this case with you. We're going in 15 seconds. And 10. Rolling in five, four, three, two, and one. That's that beep I was telling you about. Again, you're gonna hear it every 30 seconds so you can use your choose your own adventure intervals. So let's get to the case. Hello friends, we're gonna set the stage. It's March, 1999. And for the first time in days, Cynthia Haramello is outside and free. Her first thought is, I'm gonna run. But she didn't know where she was. She was a little disoriented. She's covered in blood, running in bare feet, wearing absolutely nothing but a dog collar. Clearly, we know something's up. She knew she had to run to survive, so of course that's what, exactly what she did. Even though she was in a haze, even though she was disoriented after being forcibly drugged, she was determined to get as far away from her captor as possible. So she ran up the road and a car passed by, but well, you know, likely they were stunned by her appearance, so they drove on. And in the distance, Cynthia would see a trailer with lights still on. She ran to the trailer not knowing if it was safe or not, but knowing that it had to be better than what she had just experienced. She didn't even bother knocking which kind of goes to show this is definitely a sleepier town that she's at because who keeps their doors open? Cause that's exactly what she found. She just rushed right on in and there was an elderly woman washing the dishes. Elderly woman's husband heard kind of a bit of the commotion. He came in from the back room. Elderly couple would later come to be what Cynthia called and I quote her angels of protection. The woman rushed over to Cynthia truly an angel because I don't know if I I would be pretty stunned I'd be a little freaked out and assured Cynthia as Cynthia begged her for help that she was safe she was going to be okay that her husband was there he asked she asked him hey go get her a robe let's get 911 called so exactly what they did 
Just days before Cynthia was working the streets in Albuquerque, New Mexico, she was looking for, well, a John to help her earn some cash. Little does she know that the next John that she would encounter would almost cost her her life. Cynthia was approached by a man in an RV. When they got to the back of the RV, he pulled out a badge and threw handcuffs on her wrist, telling her she was under arrest for solicitation. She didn't believe him, right? It didn't feel right. Like it just, something was a little off. The man with the handcuffs was David Parker Ray, also known to the FBI as the toy box killer. Have you heard of this case, friends? It is truly one of the most disturbing cases I've ever, ever researched. Okay, I digress. I'm gonna have you check in with your form, making sure again, you're staying tall, your chin is up, your eyes are on the prize, meaning that you're looking at the horizon. Light on those feet. Not hopping and puffing. If you are working on breathless, like this is really too hard, feel free to pull back your pace. But returning back to Cynthia, she, again, she didn't feel like it was right. It didn't feel just, it felt off. So she started to run and reach for the door of the RV, but something stopped her before she got to the door. She heard the man shout out a name, Cindy. And she's like, wait, how does he know my name? I didn't give him my real name. And how does he know my nickname? Ray wasn't talking to Cynthia and they weren't alone. Ray was talking to a woman who would later be charged as his accomplice, Cindy Hendy. Cindy came out from behind a curtain and used a cattle prod to shock Cynthia and then dragged her back to the back of the RV. Guys, I have some thoughts on Cindy. We'll talk about those a little later because what are you doing, Cindy? And down another woman like that. I'm all about women supporting women. Okay, anyway. That's where Ray handcuffed Cynthia to a cabinet. Cynthia was a fighter though. I mean, truly, she attempted to get free again, but just as the wheels of the RV started rolling and she had managed to start take, shaking free of the cuffs, I don't know how you do that, but she did, she saw Cindy grab a gun and bring it down to strike her on her head. Everything went black and she later awakened to the sound of Ray's pre-recorded voice. You can find the transcript of what I'm gonna read you just a little small clip of. It's 40 minute audio. And if you really want to run truly scared, the next time you could just find the audio version of that transcript, it is beyond disturbing. It is incredibly sickening. I am not going to get into the entire transcript here. But this is what she woke up to hearing. It says, hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles are chained. You're gagged. You're probably blindfolded. Yeah, you're disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while at least, you need to get it together and listen to this tape. It's really relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. Now, this is the part that gets me. 
He says, I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. Uh, what? I mean, you guys remember, right? This whole case started, we started this story in 1999 and he made this tape in 1993? Right. I digress. Let's get back to a little bit more about what he says. Without a future date, there are any major changes in our procedures. The tape will be upgraded. You're obviously here against your will. You're totally helpless. You don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going to happen. Scared, you're angry. Brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. I'm kind of far out. Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we do it all the time. Notice how he's using the words we. Hmm. Okay. Well, gonna read any more about that transcript again you guys are welcome to find it in the internet but I will say he quotes go on to say the tapes are a source of entertainment and that's why I used the disclaimer at the beginning because it was for adult entertainment only how weird out is this dude okay you guys are doing absolutely amazing been at this run walk for almost five minutes. Again, I want you to be very mindful of your surroundings, but really allowing yourself to just kind of flow with the movement. Cynthia goes on to say that hearing his voice still over 20 years later haunts her. But what haunts her no more is knowing that she's likely not the first person to hear it. The toy box as Ray called it, was behind his home near Elephant Butte, New Mexico. And it's actually spelled like Elephant Butt, B-U-T-T-E. And I can't tell you how scared I am constantly that I'm going to call it Elephant Butt, but it's Elephant Butte. <laughs> Aerial video shows this toy box hiding in plain sight. Again, this is actually kind of a smaller town, friends. So miles and miles and miles away from any neighbors. That's how he was able to essentially hide it in plain sight. The detectives later on into this case and they comb through this toy box. They find all sorts of, well, toys. Um, that I guess that this guy thinks are toys, chains, whips, pulleys, um, a gynecological chair where Cynthia goes on to say that she suffered electrical shocks, some kind of weird prop thing that he could tie women over. And it's just this, this dude, he, he spent some way too much creativity into this kind of thing. Cynthia says she was strapped to the chair for hours being tortured. The rest of the time, a dog collar around her neck kept her chained to a pole by a bed. There was also a padlock attached to the dog collar to make sure she couldn't escape. As Ray continued his absolutely disgusting, sick, twisted game of torturing Cynthia, she continued to use her street smarts 
and her instincts for survival. So she studied her surroundings. She listened to all the conversations that she could capture between those two abductors, Cindy and Ray. When they would take me from one room to another, she goes on to say, or from one spot to the next, I would see these rules that he had plastered all over. And she said that one of the rules said one of them was don't trust a chained captive. And that one really kind of threw her for a loop. I mean, evidently there was tons of really just horrible things that he had written as his rules. Like a chained captive will say anything to get away. Don't trust them. They'll beg and lie. And he was just he was very detailed in all of the things that these captives would do. But she said that when she read, don't trust a chained captive, he knew that the only way she was going to get out of this alive was if she escaped. Further fueled her to really tune in and figure out how she could get out. So after three days of torture, Cynthia got her chance. Cynthia told police that she was able to make her move when Cindy, don't forget, I know their names are confusing, Cindy, the girlfriend, David Parker Ray, the asshole, got a phone call about a possible business deal. And in her excitement, Cindy made two crucial mistakes. She left Cynthia alone and she left those keys to the padlock in plain sight. Cynthia goes on to say that she worked really quickly to grab the keys, unlock the padlock that kept her chained. She was on the second key when Cindy ran back into the room to find Cynthia in the middle of her escape. Cindy grabbed a lamp and started beating Cynthia with it. Not sure why a lamp, but who knows? She just grabbed whatever I guess was first closest to her. But by this time, the padlock had come loose. And Cynthia's chance to escape came down to a fight between her will to survive, and we already know Cynthia's a survivor, and her kidnapper that was in her way. So she's like, I'm going to take you down, Cindy. <laughs> we're getting close to the halfway point. I'll let you know when we're exactly halfway so that if you are in an out and back, you can go ahead and you turn and turn around, get a little closer to home that she picked up the phone and an ice pick and she stabbed Cindy with the ice pick in the head. Stunning Cindy and giving Cynthia time to run out and find her guardian angels as she describes them and the guardian angels that go on to call the police. However, when Cynthia was taken to the hospital by the police to treat her for her wounds, well, you know, they didn't give her story a lot of credibility. They're like, she's a sex worker. She's a drug user. She's essentially not a really credible witness. Just thought that maybe she had gotten in a little bit over her head. However, again, remember this Elephant Butte is a really small area. So luck would have it that Cindy, hello, Cindy had just gotten stabbed by an ice pick. So Cindy goes to the exact same hospital because she needed to have her ice pick wound looked at. And it just so happened to be, thankfully, an intervention here, that Cynthia was still in the emergency room when she sees Cindy coming in, being brought to be trot for the 
treated for this ice pick wound. She freaks out, understandably, I would freak out. I'm freaking out for her right now. Started yelling at the police. She's like, that's, that's her, that's my kidnapper, that's the abductor. I'm sure she probably said, that's the bitch that took me. Cause that's what I would say. <laughs> Get her. Friends, I'm not making light of this case. This is truly, truly serious. But when something is super intense or awkward, I unfortunately like inappropriately giggle. It's just a, a defense mechanism. Please understand, I really do know this case is very serious that I'm relaying to you guys, but trying to cut the tension a little bit. We're also at the halfway point here in 10 seconds. So at that next beep, it's a great time to go ahead and turn around and then maybe shake it out a little bit here. It's really important that when you're running, you don't allow yourself to get really just tight. Sometimes you'll get a little deep into your run and you'll let those shoulders bunch up around your ears. I do that a lot. So I want you to consciously pull those shoulders down and back. Check in with yourself a little bit. Make sure you're still staying nice and tall. And we're engaging our core as we're running here. All right, friends. So... The police are like, okay, I, I don't know that we believe this Cynthia chick, she's a prostitute, but saying there's a Cindy chick here that's the one that kidnapped her does seem kind of weird. So they went ahead and went over to Cindy. They arrest her, or at least put her in cuffs. And well, I'm not gonna say that Cindy like sang like a canary, but let's just say that she wasn't exactly willing to go down all by herself. No pun intended there. I'm not trying to be gross. <laughs> I'm just saying she definitely was like, dudes, I did not act alone. I can just give you some more information if you want. I'm going to take you over to David Parker Ray because maybe he can tell you what's going on. So Cindy ended up taking them back to the toy box. Now, this is where we get into a little bit more detail about what we found in that toy box. I've already kind of giving you some illusion as to what's in there. I've also given you a little bit of idea that it was pretty, pretty horrible. Um, but what we're going to talk about now is a little bit of speculation and some of the rumors surrounding this toy box torture chamber. According to the internet theories, the police sketch artists that had to recreate the toy box and the articles of torture found within was so disturbed by the scene that she later actually committed suicide. I don't know if that's true. By any means, it kind of sounds like it wouldn't be. However, what is not something that I would doubt was that it would definitely leave an impression on anyone who saw it and it would absolutely cause you to have some some trauma much less just from seeing it I can only imagine just seeing it how horrible it would be but actually experiencing that torture one should have to endure that so, a little bit about this toy box it was David Parker Ray's custom-built $100,000 trailer in the 90s friends do you know how much more it would cost now like, just put that into today's money, and I'm thinking, what? Dude, why didn't you do something awesome, like buy a freaking island? 
What, what the hell? But okay, anyway, <laughs> let's go back. He custom builds a $100,000 trailer. It's full of all sorts of torture devices, S&M paraphernalia. All of this, these things, these images, all of these toys essentially gives testimony to the deeply rooted deviancy at work in his nature. The instinct to abduct and torture and kidnap women and maintain that level of pain and continual submission, well, it has no redeeming social value. The abductions and killings were premeditated. The manipulation of control and dominance over an undeserving victim. I mean, this dude was just, this is the stuff that is made of nightmares for sure. Freaking you out. I'm so sorry. Again, I had to sleep in the nightlight. I apologize, but you knew what you were getting into. I told you it was going to be scary. <laughs> All right, so how did we get here? Let's talk about what the hell happened to our little buddy, little David, when he's a kid to do this. Well, David Parker Ray was born in Boleyn, New Mexico in 1939. His parents, well, they were, let's say, wholly unequipped to raise him and his sister. So his mother dropped him and his sister off to be raised by his paternal grandfather, he was incredibly strict and the punishment for anyone who didn't follow his rules was severe and quick. His father visited just as often or just often enough because he wasn't really involved to further inflict physical abuse. So little baby David, little kid David has a grandfather who pretty much punishes him and beats him for not following his rules. Then his dad, who's basically not in his life at all, comes back in occasionally to visit to also physically hit him. But I guess it Ray's dad, or David Parker Ray's dad, thinks, you know, I'm gonna be a pretty cool dad here. I'm not like those other dads, I'm a cool dad. And he would gift Ray, as a teen boy, adult magazines, okay? I mean, we know sometimes teen boys have access to adult magazines, but these weren't just any kind of adult magazines, my friends. Magazines were filled with graphic images. Images that clearly David Parker Ray would go on to duplicate in his toy box. The kid, David was bullied by his peers for his shyness around girls. Kind of smaller, he was a little scrawny, and he was really insecure. So he started getting into alcohol and drugs, but something changed. He decided, I'm gonna clean up my act, I'm gonna get my shit together. And he enlisted in the US Army as a mechanic and served until his honorable discharge, where he picked up a lot of he would later use for his toy box. He became really crafty. He was really intelligent. So anyway, as we continue going on, after he was discharged, he decided that he would do what most people do. He found another woman. They dated. He courted her. They married. Um, but his first wife goes on to say that she left him because she found something in his behavior disturbing. While she didn't give details about what was disturbing, I'm pretty sure that we already have a good picture, don't we? I mean, come on. So, yeah. 
friends, again, as we're rolling through here, I'm gonna just stop really quickly to remind you, we're getting closer to the end here. We're gonna have that five minute walking cooldown on the other side. I wanna make sure that you're landing lightly underneath your hips. You have a light forward lean at the ankle as we're rolling through here. Landing lightly allows you to minimize that impact to your joints that I talked about at the very beginning of today's workout. And I want you to make sure that you minimize that impact because it helps to keep you injury free. All right, let's keep, let's keep learning a little bit more about little David Parker Ray here. So his first marriage ends, which by the way, guys, you know it had to have been like hella disturbing whatever he was already subjecting his first wife to because she left at a time where people just didn't leave marriages. But okay, his second marriage also ends in divorce, so we've got quite the track record here. His third marriage didn't last very long either. It lasted long enough for him to have two daughters. One of his daughters, Jessie Ray, born Glinda Jean Ray, well, she would later become his accomplice. What? Like, seriously, how as a female can you possibly justify becoming an abductor, a kidnapper, and a torturer of other women? These are not women you want in your circle. Ladies, if you've got girls like this that like always be hating on other women, you know it's time for you to level up your friends. But okay, let, let's get back to it. See Ray, again, the daughter. She shared a proclivity to the violence that her father exposed to her to via those magazines because he still collected them and he still had these images kind of strewn around the home as an adult. So once that marriage ended in divorce, he had another failed marriage. Again, not surprised. This guy's a total weirdo. But okay, he had another failed marriage before finding the love of his life, Miss Cindy Hendy. We remember Cindy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cindy, the one that decided to help him create this incredible torture dungeon of his dreams. One who actually financially combined her savings with his so that they could make this dream of creating this torture dungeon. After Cynthia escaped and Cindy was arrested and they led the police to the toy box and to David Parker Ray, the police gained a warrant to search his home and trailer. They found some really horrible things in the home as well. Evidently, he would sometimes take his victims out of the toy box and take them into his actual home where he would chain them up there as well. They found like buckets where he would force the women to use, um, to basically use, essentially use the bathroom. He had dogs that he, Basically, he would spray some kind of chemical that indicated to the male dogs that the females were in heat, and by the females, I mean his his victims. So he would force. It, it, it's just it's too much. I'm not gonna, guys. Go look on the internet. You don't need to hear all this while you're running. You need to focus on your running. Which are you focusing on it right now? If you're running right this very interval, I want to make sure that you're still not huffing and puffing. Still moving nice and conversationally. You should be able to say out loud, what the hell was this dude's problem without losing your breath? 
you are rolling in your strong active recovery walk, awesome, I still want you to stay nice and tall. Okay, let's get back to this case as we wrap this time up. The publicity surrounding the arrest of David Parker Ray, considering the disturbing circumstances of his crime, another woman came forward with a similar story. Her name was Angelica Montano. She was an acquaintance of Ray's who, after visiting his house to borrow cake mix, had been drugged, raped, and tortured by Ray before being left out in the highway next to what's well, in the desert. I mean, New Mexico is the desert, so she's just left out there. She was found by, by the police when she was essentially just drugged and left there. But there was no follow-up in her case because evidently she also had kind of what a lady of the night kind of history where they just didn't believe her. Plus the fact that he used all of these drugs that would induce amnesia and memory loss in his victims. I don't know how to pronounce the drugs, so I'm not gonna try to pronounce them like phenobarbitrol, I think, but I don't know, just saying. Luckily, I haven't had any of these things. So they couldn't remember uh, what happened to them during those times. So they weren't actually able to make really great testimony. But because there's now two victims testifying to very similar crimes, the police were able to really lean on Cindy, the girlfriend, and she, she gave it up. She's like, okay, I'm freaking out. You guys are going to send me to jail forever. So here's all the other details. Her testimony helped lead the police to discover that Ray had been helped in his abductions and murders, again, by his accomplice's daughter and by some friends. They only really could name and pin a little bit onto another friend, which is Dennis Roy Yancey. His friend Yancey admitted to participating in the murder of Marie Parker, a woman who was abducted, drugged, and tortured for days by Ray and his daughter before Yancey strangled her to death in 97. There's some theories that they had a sex trafficking ring, and there's also some theories that talk about that phone call, that business stealing that Cindy took that allowed Cynthia to her opportunity to escape was just that, that some of these victims would get sold off. But again, it's hard to get all these details together. And let's say that he knew how to cover his tracks rather well. There was another video that the police found in the toy box and they sent it to the FBI to help them locate the victim because she had like this small tattoo and it was very unique. The FBI actually were able to decipher and they put out essentially an APB out into the world that allowed this other victim to come forward. Her name was Kelly Garrett, a former friend David Parker Ray's daughter, Jess. Yes, I'm telling you, ladies, if you guys got friends like this, then you need to level up your friends. We are rolling through our final minute of our run walk before I pull us back into a cool down and start to wrap up this case. Couple more intervals. our final 30 seconds and then we're all gonna walk it out into our cool down kelly she goes on to report that on july 24th 1996 garrett after getting into a fight with her then husband decided to spend the night playing pool at a local saloon like they got into a fight she's like i'm gonna show you i'm gonna go out with my girls and this saloon was evidently 
We're walking it out in three, two, and one. Bring it into a cool down. I'm now gonna shut down that timer. We're just gonna walk it out for the remainder of this case and this story, friends. This saloon would go on to be one that Ray had said that, yeah, he used this saloon as one of the places that he picked his victims. So while at the saloon, Kelly's just trying to, you know, live her best life, live it up because she's mad at her husband and she's out with her girls. She sees Jesse there and she's like, hey, Jesse, what's up? Come hang out with me and my friends. And Jesse's like, yeah, cool. You're kind of drunk. I'm going to go ahead and roofie your beer. So after all of Kelly's other friends left, clearly that's when Jesse actually roofied her, roofied her beer. They're like, we got to go home. And Jesse's like, oh, don't worry about Kelly. I got her. And of course, we trust other females. So that's when Jesse took advantage of her by roofing her beer, then taking her out to her dad's toy box and essentially abducting her. And she says that she left at that point, but she had to know what was going to happen. She was raped and tortured for two days. And after those two days, when David gets tired of her. He slits her throat, dumps her at the side of the road, loves her, leaves her to essentially die. But for some incredible miracle, she survives the encounter. But no one believed her because she couldn't remember so many of the details. Basically, her husband's like, no, you were out. You stepped out on me and you got yourself in with some really weird kinky dude. He later decides to divorce her. What kind of just ugh. anyway he doesn't have a great recollection of those events of those two days and that's probably a wonderful thing but in their investigation of david parker race trailer police found evidence of several more killings including diaries written by him where he details the murder of at least 50 other women there's speculation there's anywhere from 60 to 100 murders by david parker ray he worked for the state park or the park state department and so he knew the area really well. They're suggesting that he knew exactly where he could hide their remains. There was also a reservoir in this town that was, he frequented it often. He went fishing out there. He knew that there were catfish that were omnivores. And so what Yancey goes on to tell the police was that David knew how of disposing the bodies because he would slit the bodies from the abdomen. He filled them with rocks and he sewed them back together with chicken wire. And then he dropped them to the local town reservoir. So it would go all the way to the bottom. The catfish would help him dispose of the bodies. The reason why they think it's anywhere from 60 to 100 victims is because they found personal effects and jewelry in the trailer that point to Possibly all of these women that were never found reported as missing. While those diaries have lots and lots of details about abductions and selling women to the slave trade ring, they really couldn't pin a lot on him. He used those drugs to create those hazy memories, partnered with the socioeconomic standing of many of the women. It made it difficult for the testimony to be readily accepted by jurors. So he was tried for three cases for the three living women who came forward. But Angelica died from a drug overdose before the trial. That was the one who came over for cake mix or something like that. Don't go to your neighbors asking for sugar, evidently. And he was able to beat another case. I'm not sure exactly which one, but he worked at a deal with the prosecutors to help his daughter 
and probably like the only thing that this dude ever did that was actually kind or generous he didn't want his daughter to go to prison forever so he worked out a deal where he gets sentenced to 224 years in prison promising that he would give further testimony of where some of those bodies could be found as long as his daughter jesse ray receives a lighter sentence and she did she got nine years she only served two she's out and about i don't know her name but i would say that if you find yourself a friend who's called jesse ray don't hate on me jesse rays i'm just i'm just simply saying that it's possible <laughs> that you need to consider history a little bit maybe find out more about her his girlfriend was given 36 years in prison and she was released in July 15, 2019. I'm thinking I'm going to be a little suspicious of Cindy's as well. But anywho's, on May 28th, Ray was transported, May 20th, 2002, Ray was transported to the Lee County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico, so he could go ahead and give that testimony that he agreed that he was going to ride. And um, well, he conveniently died of a heart attack before the interrogation took place and only three years into his sentence. There's some speculation about that as well, my friends, that maybe the police could have been in on it. I don't know. I have no idea. You'll have to take that up with your own imagination. But suffice to say, we have finished up today's workout. You hopefully are back at home. Are you wrapped up this incredible opportunity of run walk together? So go ahead and cool it down here. You're going to do some light stretches, some nice static stretches, or you're going to take some time to foam roll. If you have some questions on proper recovery after a run walk, feel free again, reach out to Christine at runwinefinishlines.com. Just so you know, Cynthia used this opportunity as a way to kind of change her life. She now has a nonprofit that she founded called Street Safe New Mexico, so a small silver lining. Her and her partner, Christine Barber, pay for hotel rooms for women on the street to shower and sleep. They also hand out essentials, including clothes, and they help these women to testify in court so that every woman who gets raped makes sure to have her day in court. Friends, we like to, I like to wrap up these kind of, when I go into these cases, like what lessons to be learned? Lessons to be learned is you know, choose your friends wisely and bring your own drinks. Just, just buy your own drinks, friends. It's probably better to do that. Thank you so much. Again, I can't wait to hear from you. How did you like this? Did it work out for you? Do you have some cases that you're interested in hearing? have a link to a Google Drive that I'll drop into the comments so that you can maybe give me some feedback or let me know about some cases that you're interested in. Or did I miss any details that you know about the toy box killer that you want me to share in the future? I'm going to ask you prioritize your rest and your recovery. And I can't wait to see you again for the next episode of Running Scared with Coach Christine.